I think it should never be permitted to happen again. That is very good. Hello everyone and welcome to the Cricket Podcast. I'm Jack Hope and today I am joined by Max Roy-Brown. How are you doing, Max? Hello, Jack. Very well, thank you. And Ross Leck. How are you doing, Ross? Uh, I'm a little bit scared, if I'm perfectly honest, Jack. Well, why, why are you a little bit um, scared? So I, I've known Max now for a number of years, near, maybe five, maybe longer, don't know. Um, it's the first time I've ever seen him without facial hair. He's got he's, he's clean shaven. It's, it's weird. It, it is a new look. It does look weird. Um, good I... weird, Max. Good weird. <laughs> you look thank more, you, thank you for clarifying. It's the first time I've seen the resemblance to Martin Freeman. Yeah, that's that's true. It the, does. Um, the... the uncovered mm-hmm. doppelganger. Yeah. The dual it's... definition, it really it does bring it out. And this is really um, helpful for people listening on a podcast. <laughs> Imagine Martin Freeman with a with a bird's nest on his head. <laughs> <laughs> That's Max. Um, <laughs> this week on the Cricket Podcast, we will be covering the Bob Willis Trophy final. Uh, Essex, did they retain? The, or, or, they won the first class championship thing that happened in England this year. We will be talking about England women v West Indies women. We're midway through that series as we speak, and England have been performing well. Then we will be talking with Emma Gardner, the England teams, the England cricket teams, nutritionist. Ross, uh, we just finished the interview. What were your thoughts on that? Wonderfully insightful. Um, really enjoy the fact that uh, you, you kind of don't think about that kind of side when of lockdown. You're kind of always focused on performance, and actually you forget that nutrition plays a massive part in that and uh, it's really interesting to hear about kind of the professionalism of all the players and how it's changed over the last years and sure. the fact that cricket tea really doesn't resemble anything to do with nutrition <laughs> yeah and then finally we have some IPL action which is a little bit of an understatement I think um, <laughs> there have been four games since our last show and we will be talking about them before we preview the next three or four matches to take you through until our second IPL special on Thursday. Before we get into that, though, fellas, and using the IPL as inspiration, uh, and specifically using Rahul Tawatia as inspiration, what is your favourite cricketing comeback of all time? Shane Warne's hair. <laughs> Obviously, on a more serious note, um, it's, it's, it has to be Stokes, right? It has to be Stokes and Leach here at Headingley. That yeah, that's uh, as comebacks go. It's pretty strong. <laughs> <laughs> top that, Max. Yeah, Max. What have you got? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I can't top that, but I I do remember it's one of my first um first, well, early cricketing memories watching um, England playing West Indies in the final of the ICC Champions Trophy. I don't know if you uh, remember remember that when the game was all but one before um, a ninth wicket. Um, rear guard action steered the West Indies home and left England looking uh, rather rather embarrassed from a pretty much unassailable position. Nice. That's all right. Um, I, I've got one. I don't know if it's my favourite, but I think probably the biggest comeback or the best comeback of all time. Uh, did you know Don Bradman was dropped after his first test? <laughs> was come, that was a pretty big comeback. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'd probably go with uh, with the Don as my uh, number one cricketing comeback. Uh, we will talk a little bit more about Rahul Tawatya and the Rajasthan Royals in the second half or, or last third of the show. Um, but before then, 
we will get on with everything else. And before then, Ross, do you have any messages for our listeners? Hello. No, I'm not going to go for Max. Um, remember to follow and subscribe on every podcast platform, whichever you listen to, and follow us at The Cricket Pod on Instagram and Twitter. That's a good message. Um, go and do that now. Pause it. Pause the whole thing and go and do that now. <laughs> we will be back after a short break with the Bob Willis Trophy Final. Yes, Jack, uh, thank you. So, as we mentioned, the Bob Wallace Trophy final took place last week with Essex uh, sort of overcoming Somerset, in a manner of speaking. It was a bit of... um, it was a feat of 29 repeating itself, uh, really, wasn't it? We had a team winning a final at Lords by drawing a final at Lords, and we had Essex beating Somerset to win the County Games Premier Red Bull competition by drawing with Somerset in the final game. <laughs> I thought um, it was very cricket, didn't you? It was It was so cricket. It was as cricket as you could possibly have wanted it to be, really, especially given <laughs> um, given uh, what happened last year with the World Cup. Um, Alistair Cook probably takes the plaudits given that um Essex won with a, an imperious 172 in the first innings which uh, ultimately secured their first innings lead which was the uh, the difference in the end um so that's despite uh six for for uh, Lewis Gregory did his best to um, bring things back as Essex looked like running away with it um and then Tom Lamanby scored 116 in Somerset's second innings uh which gave Somerset a, a sniff but um, Essex held out for the draw, and uh, when, you know, once it became clear they couldn't chase the runs without risking actually losing the game, blocked it out, and uh, ultimately, really, rain delays cost us the chance of well, it could have been quite a tense finale, really, couldn't it? It was um, it was shape- shaping up to be quite a good game, and it was a uh, bit of a bit of a shame that we had some September rain, but it was sort of almost inevitable, wasn't it? Given that the season's gone as late as it has, um, I suppose. The elephant in the room to address is what we think of the uh, the draw provision they had in place, which was that the team that uh, scored uh, the most in their first innings uh, won the trophy in the event of a draw. It's I, a new one. Yeah, well, I, I think that works, isn't it? I think that's how grade cricket's played in Australia. Um, I I thought that... Oh, I, I don't really see what the problem is. Can you explain? I mean, well, what, I, what, what's, I was what's the fallback? Who gets the most points? So I know in Australia, in in their in their Shield competition, Australia is the first class cricket um, in Australia. I believe that the winner, because they have a grand final, I believe that the winner of that, if it's a draw, is whoever had the most points going in. And so what happens quite regularly is that the team who has the most points going in just bat and bat and bat mm. and bat and bat and bat. And bat, and the the finals aren't always that good. In this in this format, what is it? One hundred and thirty. So it's kind of like a really long limited overs match within a yeah. first class game. So you have one hundred and thirty overs to bat. I think that's reasonable. I mean, if you can't bowl a team out in one hundred and thirty overs, and similarly, if you can't score a decent score in one hundred and thirty overs, you only got yourself to blame. And, oh, and Essex Essex 
used their 130 overs, and um, Somerset couldn't bowl them out. So, yeah, I, I, <laughs> what, what do you think, Ross? Do you? I think I think the whole bad? trophy has been a roaring success. That's what I think. Don't really care about the provision in the in the winning. Last year, loved the boundary count was the win. This <laughs> year, I have no care in the world that Essex have won it based on scoring 20 more runs in the first innings, whatever it was. So, who cares? No, I think you make a good point. Jack, that there's actually something within the game to decide it because if you'd gone in on something like points scored throughout the competition, like you say, you just get up with one team going, all right, well, we'll just we'll just play for the draw, and then it becomes mm-hmm. a bit of a you could have a, a panel do or a match. You could have a um, panel of independent judges who, <laughs> who would control ass- damage exactly and assess yeah. it based on the criteria used to assess bouts in robot wars, and you yeah. would get a a good outcome. I think. I think anything could be improved by definitely that. but with uh, with that with uh, C- Craig Charles on TMS is that what you're suggesting <laughs> putting, putting the realisticness of, of that happening aside I suppose the only other option you could have would be um, you know those those timed games you get on uh, in Saturday League Cricket where you can have winning and losing draws no one knows how they work no that wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't it be great to have how you get a winning wouldn't, or wouldn't losing it be great draw just to... one old man on each team the only reason the old man gets picked is because he knows what a winning draw is and he can do the maths at the end of the game yeah well I... we've got um, we've got it complicated enough with DLS why not why not confuse things further it, that would be cricket wouldn't it that would be real cricket I remember I mean, captain I remember captain in the game and we got to the final over and I was just like, well, it's just going to be a draw. There's no need to worry about it. Came off, and the umpire goes, if you would have hit two more runs, you would have got a winning draw then. And I was just like, why didn't you tell anyone? <laughs> that's, not, that's not the umpire's place, is it? <laughs> it's, just, oh, you you've got to know that. It's like, it's, like the, it's like the World Cup and South Africa all over again. You've got to know what runs you need, Ross. <laughs> if it's we go back umpires. to the actual game itself, I thought there were a couple of nice points. I thought Alistair Cook, um, not signing off, but reminding us again that he that he's is really good. very, very good at cricket. Yeah. I thought that juxtaposed quite nicely, though, with probably the second most important innings of the of the match. Tom Lamanby, the young uh, centurion for Somerset, mm. um, both opening the batting. Maybe, maybe, we don't know this for sure, but maybe Tom Lamanby's the future. Maybe. Scored, well, he debuted this summer, didn't he? So he's 20, yeah. as you say, and he scored three first-class centuries in yeah, the, the competition. 50. Uh, I thought that was good. Um, I, I mean, if England is anything to go by, he will get a chance. He will <laughs> yes. be one of another 15 over the next 10 years. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. Um, I also think that maybe Somerset were a little conservative. So obviously they'll be a little bit frustrated that they didn't win and, and Essex won by drawing. Um, but... I think if you look at the game, Essex realised even from quite early on in their batting innings that if they used all the overs and they managed to get past three hundred one, they would uh, have a first innings lead, which is always desirable in a in a in a two innings format game. But also they'd use up a lot of overs in a rain affected game, and I think yeah. Somerset didn't really notice that was happening. And I, I think uh, as well in Somerset's second innings they got really really bogged down at one point I think they got 20 runs off 100 balls or something like that their, their middle order wasn't really going anywhere and um, what they would give to have had just another 10 overs there because they, they they weren't they weren't if they'd had another 10 overs you never know um, I, I, I feel like they yeah. maybe could have been a little bit quicker um, considering <laughs> that they knew at the halfway point that they were definitely going to lose unless they won which, which yep. is the thing you can only say in cricket. Oh, that would make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, it's probably worth uh, mentioning that it was a, a good toss to uh, to win as well. I think some, the fact that it was um, was actually a game is probably some testament to Somerset's batting in the first innings because it was 
tough. You know, there was a bit of rain around. It was dark. It was doing a bit. Um, so in testing conditions, they put up a, a pretty, um, pretty reasonable and uh, challenging score. And then when um, when it was Essex's turn with the bat, it was pretty windy, which is not always ideal for for the bowlers. Uh, it's sometimes it's hard to tell, isn't it, whether whether wind affects bowlers or batsmen more. But I think it tends to be a bit more difficult to to bowl in in windy conditions. Yeah, um, we have the slope at Lords as well. Yeah, yep. you have to get that in. Um, mm. If the final thing, and I think this has been a little bit of a topic as well, and then we can move on. Um, fellas, do do we keep the final or the format? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, for. I, th- I think it is actually really good. So I you go that, format uh, and final, or are you saying final yeah, I, I genuinely and both. county champion? I think so, yeah. I think I think format with uh, a full set of games and um, and maybe, you know, with, with more time allowed rather than have the top three with uh, someone missing out. Find a find a way of making it a bit more of a an even qualification from the groups, but ultimately I think it works. Give it a go. All right, there we are. Um, that is bound to cause some controversy. Um, <laughs> that's what that's what it's all about, isn't it? A portion of our listeners. That was the Bob Willis Trophy final. Essex, congratulations. Um, I don't think anyone said that. Uh, are anyone else going to congratulate Essex? Uh, no. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, just from uh, well, me then. Actually, one, one more point on it. Um, how little of an impact ultimately that Jack Leach and Simon Harmer had on the game. It's, it's shocking that when they're starting to rain and getting dark, the spinners aren't causing absolute devastation, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Um, that, yeah, the, that was the Bob Bush Trophy. Well done, Essex. Um, who knows? Somerset. Yeah, who knows what will happen next year, whether that'll be up for grabs again or whether it will be a permanent fixture until in the, the next pandemic. Chelmsford trophy just wheel, case wheel it out when the Ebola pandemic <laughs> hits we will take another quick break and then we will move on to England women the West Indies women driven by Triscothic who just uh, trots through for a quick single and Tomlinson oh that's a lovely shot he's played that shot a few times now Ben Brown absolutely shocking from Durham Goes for a huge drive, McCarthy does not connect. Could easily have edged a catch behind there, didn't do so. Whether that's within the spirit of the game, who knows? Is... The county championship. The county championship. The county championship. Right you are, Jack. Uh, England ultimately have secured a T20 win and the series win in a five-match T20 series. Um, and they won on the BBC which was great. It's great to see it was the first time women's cricket um, had been on since 1993 on the Beeb. Um, Nat Skyver hitting the winning runs, uh, or hitting all the runs, really. Um, but actually, there was some great hitting from quite a few of the players, including Deandra um, Dotty, which I hope I'm saying the name correctly, um, for the West Indies, who's averaging 56 in the series so far. She's at 176 runs in the tournament so far, or tournament series. It's a um, tournament, is it? Uh, could it? Could it be called a tournament? No. It's a bilateral series. It's a bilateral, bilateral tournament. Series. Thanks. Um, <laughs> one, one thing I did note was uh, tuning in was that um, even professional cricketers bowl like Sunday league cricketers. Arna Shrubshaw bowled one that didn't even hit the wicket in the first ball because she yeah. cold hands. <laughs> yeah, well, it is, it is cold. It is yeah, very okay. cold. I can't yeah. believe recreational players are out at the moment. Yeah, That's no, completely insane. Actually, no, yeah, I saw, I saw one at the weekend when I was um, playing football. It was weird. 
How many jumpers do you have to think you'd be wearing? And how many heat warmers do you have in your pockets? Um, I think at the start of the series, Jack, we uh, talked around kind of who's going to be kind of the standout star. And um, you, you picked up on um, that Glenn would be uh, would be a bit of star and mm-hmm. the, the Googly was going to cause all kinds of issues. Fair to say it has. Fair yep. to say it has. Taken the, uh, most of the wickets so far. Um, I've got kind of a question for you guys, though. Um, because I think based upon these performances, there's nothing really that is seeing out to me that they're going to challenge Australia very quickly. Uh, but then that got me into another thought process of going, well, actually the West Indies don't really look like troubling England here. So what can be done within the women's game, do you believe, to kind of bridge that gap? Do you have any ideas? Uh, Max? Yeah, well, I think it's uh, it somewhat mirrors the men's game, doesn't it? In that in that um, respect, in that there needs to be a a more equal distribution of wealth. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'd go a little bit further as well. I think they need to play a few more games. Uh, I I think um, having a schedule that like fully compared to the men's schedule, and I don't mean this just at an international level, where I think that's that's not reaching parity because they don't play. Women don't play any test matches, um, but they are they are having regular series. Uh, but I think at a domestic level that, that you need more from each nation. Um, so the the thing that I would say would be a, a significant boon to women's cricket is if there was an actual women's IPL instead of the sort of pretend one that they have at the moment or the halfway house kind of showpiece mm. that they've got at the moment. Um, I think what you're easily... calling for is the hundred. Well, and I don't. I don't. Two, I think two it, weeks in a row, he's been calling for the hundred. Yeah, in the context, change of tune here. In the context of women's cricket in the UK, I think the hundred's not a bad idea. I don't. So I don't think you could have eighteen women's counties playing. I think that would. I, do, I don't even know if the player base exists really to have that at any level of competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly considering that some teams would have. I mean, probably Surrey here would have sort <laughs> of four or five internationals, and other yeah. players would have people who play uh, re- recreationally, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you could concentrate uh, six, maybe eight teams, if you if you um, base them in 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 cities and um, and you invited some international players as well. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just raise the competition all round. I, so I mean, I, I think it's a few things. So as you say, Max, I think there's there's a money problem in that the the distribution of wealth between the big and the small countries isn't great. But I also think that uh, the the fairly limited schedule probably holds people back a little bit um mm. and means that you don't uh for for the for the weaker teams so if we say uh australia england and india are the best three with australia being the best mm-hmm. after that i think there is a bit of a gap i mean bearing in mind that west Indies did actually win the t20 world cup a few years ago so they're not they're not dreadful um, or, or they haven't been historically dreadful but they, they do seem to be worse in england um I, I do think more of an exposure to those good teams might lead to some development mm-hmm. absolutely and, and if you play more games it's more likely they'll be on professional contracts so they'll be able to s- sustain a living yeah. around the game and i think that's an issue as well i, I mean it's also it unless it's a viable source of income which is i yeah. think why actually the the hundred for the women's game is is a positive thing we debate it's we debate it about uh, whether it's needed in the men's game but actually as a package with the women's game it it should be really positive yeah, but I, I also think it's really embarrassing for a, a cricket board or, or any sporting institution, if one of their teams is consistently getting pumped, 
Um, mm. And and so if uh, if like if, the Liverpool women's soccer well, team, no, it's it, not dissimilar to that. I mean, if you look at the amount of investment that's gone into uh, the Arsenal women's team and the Chelsea women's team, and I think most notably in recent years, the the two Manchester clubs have really yeah. put a lot of money into their women's teams. That's based to some extent on on protecting their 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 brand and their reputation and and, and demonstrating that a they care. But B, it's it's also not okay for any Manchester United team to get battered all the time, um, mm-hmm. and I, I think you'd probably see that in cricket as well. If India, if the India women's team or the Pakistan women's team were turning up in Australia and getting annihilated on a or or, or, or vice versa, hosting a team that was annihilating them on a regular basis, I think things would happen quite quickly. Um, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> uh, well, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, we also should mention that the uh, Southern Vipers beat the Northern Diamonds in the Rachel Hayho Flint Trophy as well uh, this week. So congratulations to them. Obviously, the South beating the North. Where's where's, where's the surprise <laughs> there? Who knows? Who I knows? mean, the the power base of cricket at the moment really is concentrated in the South. I mean, the, you've got Essex and Somerset playing in the men's final. The the women beating or the Southern women beating the Northern women. Uh, there's a lot of chat from Yorkshire and Lancashire, yeah. and, and and other north places, but we've we've yet to see any evidence that they're any good this summer. So. <laughs> Gloss over how many of them are in the England setup. <laughs> and who's who's the T20 finalist? I don't know. Uh, anyway, um, moving on, that wraps up the women's game. Um, well done, England. They're playing again tonight, so we'll bring you a summary of the rest of the series. Um, but now we're going to play the interview with Emma Gardner, who, as you said at the top of the show, is England's uh, performance uh, nutritionist and looks after the players um, and makes sure that they'll be able to hit runs, take wickets. And uh, it's a fantastic interview, and we hope you enjoy it. We love hearing from our listeners, so please follow us at The Cricket Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you have a great story like Scotty G did about the Hayden Way, Matthew Hayden's personal website, we want to hear about it. So from wherever you're from, send us in a great story and we'll read out on the show. Email us on thecricketpod at gmail.com. Thank you very much. Today on the podcast, we are joined by the person who tells the England team that they can't have their pudding until they've eaten all their vegetables. It's England's lead performance nutritionist, Emma Gardner. Welcome to the show. How are you? Very well, thank you, Ross. How are you doing? Absolutely marvellous, thank you. Absolutely marvellous. Great introduction um, there, by the way. Oh, well, well, I hope it's true. That's what I hope is true. I mean, Dom Sibley looks like he's been eating all his vegetables. Um, we are joined today by Max. Hello, Max. Hello. And Jack, welcome. Hi. Um, First and foremost, I think it's just a really basic question, Emma. Um, what is your role, like a lead performance nutritionist? Can you can you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, sure. And and it's funny that you ask that question because I think so many assume that essentially my job is exactly what you just described, where I basically ban poor food and <laughs> make players eat vegetables every day. And ultimately, my job is to prepare them literally for cricket. So from a point of view of fueling recovery side of things ensuring that they're fit for purpose and I know that sounds you know ridiculous but it literally is that so my job will cover everything from what the players eat on a training basis through some matches what we do around catering within those matches and then things like keeping them free from illness and injury so a big aspect of my job is around nutrition for 
immunity support when we travel and then if they get injured sadly hopefully they don't but i'll support them from that aspect as well so it's not just uh, don't eat this and do eat that ah, okay so uh, do, do you decide what goes on the uh, lord's lunch menu is, is that your <laughs> part of your role so we do have catering guidelines that we actually put out to all of our grounds and it's funny actually because um lord's is probably the one where i don't get pretty much any say and that is mainly because the players are like there is no way you're changing that menu <laughs> and funnily enough when i right my very first day in cricket was a visit to lords and i re remember rocking up i met the team and they said to me oh emma you're gonna love lunch it's amazing and i was literally expecting this unbelievably performance orientated meal and obviously the guys at Lords do a great job, but let's just say it's amazing, but it's not always athlete friendly. Is all do, I you, say. do you think and that's why England way. always perform so badly at Lords? Well, do you they know, get so excited and fill up. Do you know what's so funny about this, Max? Is the day before the World Cup final was probably the only day where I actually said to the lads, please don't eat the sticky toffee pudding if we're in the middle of the match and we've got to run around like it's probably not the best race. <laughs> And yeah, lo and behold, none of them responded to that message. But, um... <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that Chris Tremlett basically said he was happy to be 12th man at Lords because he got to eat loads of food when we, we, we interviewed him a few weeks ago. <laughs> yep, it's so true. I, I will not name names, but there are some players who say it's the only place where if you get out, for example, early, you're not <laughs> as disappointed because you at least get to fill your boots at lunch. And... <laughs> It is, um, it is very high quality. It's almost like going to a fine dining restaurant. But from my point of view, it's, it's as I said, not really performance friendly. Um, <laughs> but I, overall, the food at the grounds is, is really, really good. And we do get quite a lot of say on series and all. Well, it's nice to know from that respect that some England cricketers aren't necessarily that different from uh, amateur cricketers when it, when it comes to getting out early and having a nice big tea. But um, exactly. sort of... <laughs> Back a little bit to uh, to a slightly more serious question, um, as fun as that was. Um, you hear quite a lot now about um, sports nutrition, sort of in cricket, but and more generally across other sports, um, much more so than maybe you did, uh, say, 10 or so years ago. I mean, could you uh, give us an idea of, of how much nutrition in sport has changed over the, the recent years? Yeah, I mean, it's changed. It's changed drastically. It literally has for, me for many reasons. I think it's changed mainly because a lot more research has come out to suggest that nutrition can help from a performance point of view. I think it's also changed because a lot of sports have started investing in nutrition support. So therefore, it's just created a profile for it. Um, but I think also we just know more. I mean, what's interesting is when I talked then about my first day at Lord's, I'd, I've grown, I'd grown up around cricket. My dad and my brother played cricket, but my background was in Olympic sport and professional football and rugby, where it's quite normal for every premiership football team, every premiership rugby team, pretty much every Olympic sport to have a nutritionist. Whereas in cricket, it's completely opposite. It's like very much in its infancy still as a discipline. So as an example, I'm, I was up until about three months ago, the only nutritionist for the whole of the ECB. Um, and in the counties, we may have two nutritionists who are part-time out of 18. Whereas, as I said, in other sports, you would have nutritionists in every single sport at least two or three days a week. Whereas in cricket, it's just not the case. So I think it's interesting when we talk about sports nutrition for cricket, especially 
because there's such a big jump now from international level through to you know grassroots cricket because of the nature of the game has changed so much and the nutritional component has become important whereas you know I'm sure we'll move on to things like afternoon teas on a Sunday in a, in a classic league is still oh, yes. very very different <laughs> to what we do at international cricket so it's the simple answer is it has changed but in cricket we're still catching up a little bit if that makes sense it does yeah uh, so if we talk in a little bit more detail then um we assume that it's not just creating a diet plan for the whole team and there's uh with in an elite sport there's there's quite a lot of specificity when it comes to each player and um, what what do you how do you manage that and sort of what do you what do you tell people to do and um and, and what are the factors that come into play uh yeah. when we talk nutrition with players yeah, I mean, without a doubt, Jack, cricket is one of the hardest sports to work in as a nutritionist because, as you guys will know, you can literally prepare a batter to go and bat through a, through a test match and hope he scores a, mate, a century or, you know, a, a double hundred, but you could get out for the first ball and then be sat down literally for two days. <laughs> so, And then the other problem you have with cricket is there is food everywhere. I don't know if you guys have ever been to an international game and been behind the scenes, but there is food literally everywhere. So to manage and prepare players for their individual role is very difficult to do. But what, what we do now is, for example, our fast bowlers will bowl on average X amount of overs in a test match in a, in a one day, we know they'll bowl X amount of overs. In a T20, we know what they'll bowl. And likewise, we'll prepare our, our batters and our all-rounders to expect that they will play for long periods of time. And, you know, that's something that is very much changed as well. When I first started, I remember a couple of guys to, going to me, you know, a bit tongue-in-cheek, oh, it's not that important um, because it's a skill-based sport. But what we now know is cricket, I mean, international cricket, to win a World Cup, the stats that we took are unbelievable. Like the amount of just kilometres that a fast bowler will cover just running in. And the average test match century will be 10 kilometres of running. So, you, you know, you can kind of then start to put nutritional guidance to it. And then I can he- therefore help them build plans around it. But the reality is it's really complex and it's really hard to keep them in a good spot to perform without also just sitting there and boredom eating, because we get a lot of that as well. <laughs> Sadly, they're not doing much. So, how, how does that differ between like a pace bowler and a spinner? Because they're, they're workload, they're still going to bowl those overs, and yet in the nets and all that kind of stuff, the, the pressure on the body and the, the resistance they need to go through is quite different. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, to be fair, that's one of my first key things I did when I came into cricket, was we get a lot of particularly stress fractures with fast bowlers um, and I started to look at well why is that is it is it just literally mechanical or is it actually around their energy side of things as well and what we know is our fast bowlers it's very hard to measure energy expenditure but we know that the nature of them running in and obviously our SNC coaches Scotty and Rob who you know I work alongside they give me really good stats so I kind of know how hard they're working and we ultimately know that as much as a spin bowler and a fast bowler is going to bowl the same amount of overs, the, the rate and the intensity of the bowling is much higher in a fast bowler. Um, and to be able to produce 90 miles an hour is very energy demanding within itself. Mm-hmm. So our fast bowlers will have a very, very different looking uh, nutritional plan to what a spin bowler would. Um, just for the nature of what I said, that their expenditure would, would be so much higher. And we need to protect them from, as I just said, things like stress fractures, which can happen if you have low energy availability. 
So what you're saying, for me to be the next Mark Wood and me standing at 28 years old now, I need to get my energy levels up and I could make it. <laughs> Definitely, Ross. It's funny, though, because one of, you know, I say this as a bit of a, a sweeping statement, but I am going to put it out there that my my job with the fast ballers is 99% of the time getting them to eat more. They don't eat enough. Like, I remember sitting with so many of them at the start and going, I weigh 62 kilos and I eat more than you and you go 90 miles an hour, like what's going on? And trying to get them to understand that, you know, as I said, when they're trying to bulk fast, you require energy to do that. It's very muscle, you know, we call it glycogen depleting, it's energy demanding. And therefore, you know, I regularly sit with people like Paul Woody and go, now eat that again. And he's like, no, I can't. And I'm like, no, you need to. You need to increase your energy. So it's, it's a real balance between... Some people probably need to not eat as much and, you know, a lot need to eat more. So it's very, very individual. So, so you said you've been at um, the ECB for what, three years now. So you played under a, or um, worked under a number, a number of different coaches. So you've got Chris Silverwood, Trevor Bayliss, Paul Farbrace potentially as well in there. Um, have, do they have different styles when it comes to nutrition or do they kind of just go, no, we're not the expert on this, um, we, we, you're, it's in your hands? Yeah, it is interesting. I think I haven't seen it as much in cricket. I think all three of the coaches I've worked under have been very good, you know, with me and said, you just crack on, you know what you're doing, we'll leave you to it. Um, I know Spoons, you know, Chris Silverwood now is is really supportive of science and medicine. And he's very, you know, he will absolutely say, you tell me what you want to do, what you need to do to get our, our guys in the best position to win. And the professionalism is, is raising all the time, particularly in our team with England. Um, but I think, you know, working across other sports, you work with some coaches who, yeah, very much into it and others who are quite standoffish and will allow you to do your role. But I'm, you know, I'm quite, I'm quite fortunate in cricket that they let me crack on. And, um, you know, the hardest bit though is the coaches themselves will expend a lot of energy. I mean, cricket coaching is very different to other sports again, because they will sit and, so, sorry, not sit, they'll stand and sling balls down, ball after ball to players when they're batting and they'll do fielding drills. So therefore the nutrition becomes important to them. And often the hardest bit around writing menus is I want to keep the staff happy <laughs> whilst also making it orientated to performance. And, you know, our coaches have been in the bubble just as long as the players and they might want the not as good a choice um, to keep them happy and sane. Whereas I'm like, can we not put that on the menu, please? Because it's not ideal for... I just sort of thinking back a little bit, a little bit longer. Imagine um, Andy Flower when he got hangry, throwing balls for an afternoon. <laughs> Good way to prepare for uh, some short pitch bowling, wouldn't it? Yeah, he's like everyone coming another ten meters and just go bang. Yeah, it, it, it is fascinating though because in the other sports that I work, the coaches stand on the side and literally shout directions and coaching drills, and they don't really get involved. Whereas in you know, in, in cricket, it's phenomenal the amount of work that the coaches will do. A batter will come in and maybe bat for half an hour, 45 minutes, times that by a team, and they're slinging, you know, balls down the whole time. It's it's intensive for them as well. It's why, can just, it's why Collingwood can just run on the pitch and his white's gone, he's a sub. He can just come on, he's still super fit. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, very, very much so. And the coaches love getting the skin folds done as well. You know, we do our body fat measures. The coaches mm-hmm. often line up and get theirs done. They really like getting involved <laughs> in all of that. So it's good that they want to keep themselves in a good spot. 
you, you very uh, very briefly mentioned there the um, the bubble, and um, we did uh, wanted to ask you what it was or what it was like being being around the England team during that lockdown experience, but also whether um, sort of uh, that li- limited you in any way or how how that maybe changed how you had to approach uh, nutrition with the players, given um, given it's not exactly a normal environment. Yeah, I think I think to be fair, Max, like the beginning of the beginning of lockdown before we got into the bubble was I'm sure not very enjoyable for the lads having to fly back from Sri Lanka and obviously the IPL got moved and they were at home for probably the first time, for a lot of them the first time in their careers for an extended period of time. But for me, um, especially, I loved it because <laughs> I managed to get them, you know, so often when they're on tour and I'm not full time and I'll 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 drop into tours and drop out. But when you're playing, you know, five days of a game, then a couple of days of a training game and one day off a week, the last thing they want to do on that day off is listen to me bang on about nutrition. So to actually get a period with them here in the UK when we were, you know, doing, you know, just bits that I wouldn't normally get the chance to do, like making them cook and, you know, do, do podcasts with them on topics that they wanted to know more about and getting them doing challenges. We got them doing like protein pancake challenges, which were hilarious and they had to pulse the pictures and stuff. But it's stuff that we would never, ever get to do on tour. So that period of time was actually really good. Then we obviously transitioned into the bubble. And I think the hardest bit about it is normally when they're on tour, we will provide their breakfast and their lunch and all their meals around um, matches and training. But then because of the nature of touring together, we often allow them the freedom to do what they want on an evening meal. So then that is a good and a bad thing. It's good for me in some ways, but it's not good in other ways because then there's an aspect of, what do you pick on a Nando's menu, for example? Um, <laughs> Protein. But, yeah, the nature of the, the bubble was we had to keep everybody happy and entertained on the food front when we wouldn't normally get a chance to, to we wouldn't, sorry, not get a chance, we wouldn't normally have to do that. So the bit of the bubble that was the most difficult for me was trying to write menus with obviously Old Trafford and, and the Aegeus to keep everybody happy and entertained which is really quite difficult to do for that amount of time. So I actually got a bit of a player committee together of some of our foodies and our more fussies, and, <laughs> you know, those with specific requirements, if you will, and said, right, lads, what do you want? And we tried to do things like theme nights and keep it interesting and, and you know, just try and, try and keep, keep everybody entertained because ultimately, you know, it sounds a bit cheesy, but food is mood in those situations. It's really big and it's often the thing that people look forward to the most. Um, so there was quite a pressure. I felt quite a pressure to get it right, to be honest. Can I um, just ask straight up, are you partially responsible for, for Dom Sibley's radical um, body transformation? Because it sounds like, from this anecdote, if we, it sounds like you, you've you had more control over some of the players' uh, eating habits for maybe the first time in a while. And um, Dom Sibley looked different <laughs> in, in July versus in February this year yeah I mean you know fair play to Dom I'm not taking credit you know he's ultimately the one who has to you know who does it and all the players are, you know we can only give them the tools if you will and they then have to implement it and I think the difference was players saw an opportunity in lockdown to work on areas that they don't normally get a chance to do cricket is really engulfing and it's something that I've learned working with them that they have so much to think about that to balance everything in terms of the physical side, the cricket side, the psychological side is, is difficult. So when we went into lockdown and they didn't have cricket, 
a lot of them went, I'm going to use this opportunity to actually make a change in an area that I've wanted to for a while. And, you know, Don was one example, but when we actually got their, you know, measures done in the bubble, we found that five or six got PVs because they actually just didn't have all the noise. They just could, they just could focus on that area. And Dom had wanted to make a change for a while. He'd, you know, I think he said in a few media articles that he'd seen himself back at the start of the year. He knew he wanted to make a change and he used the opportunity really well. So I'd love to say, oh, yeah, it's all the credit of us. He, no, he, he ultimately made the choice that he wanted to do it and he did it. And uh, fair play to him. He, he's no, definitely. Yeah, no, it was a real transformation. I think um, it, it showed that what he it made, it seemed to make a big difference to his batting as well this summer um, as he really kicked on. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the main thing. The the worst thing for us is when we put an intervention in place and then a player doesn't play well, because we obviously want to physically make them the best team in the world. Because as I said at the beginning, we know the demands of cricket now are raising all the time. And whereas in the past, probably you know players could get away with maybe not being in the best physical shape, we now know that the game demands you to be in a good physical spot, especially test match batters who have to back up performances, you know, and they have to be able to play for days on end. And I think that was the difference, like as an example there, you know, when we're planning for next year, things like the Ashes, five tests in heat that we're not used to, the physical component becomes ever so more important to us and to them. So, you know, we almost want no stall on turn. We want them to just to be able to step on the pitch and be able to play and not worry that they're not physically going to be able to cope with those demands. And um, yeah, and, and it's brilliant that, you know, we've seen such a massive shift in our professional standards in those areas in the last two years, obviously helped by a whole World Cup in the, in the one day team, but also because we want to be one in, number one in the world. And, you know, if you want to be number one in the world, these areas might seem minute, but they become really big um, and important to us. Does uh, you kind of talk about the World Cup there? Did um, does someone like Owen Morgan's mentality rub off on the rest of the staff as well as the players, or is it is it limited? That was just a random one from me. That one. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think, like, he's infectious, Morgs. Like his professional standards and the way that he captains the team. You know, he makes everybody want to raise the game. And, um, you know, I love working with him because, you know, my attitude is I'm here to support you guys to be the best that you can be. We very much have the, we don't force it upon them. They have to be almost ready to want that information. But the bottom line is we're there. And, and I think Morg shows that in the way that he, you know, works with younger players coming through the side. He just encourages them. And we do exactly the same. I think what's nice, though, in our team now is everybody's pushing standards. And whereas in the past, we probably had one or two players who were at kind of the extreme positive end. We've now got the majority of the group there. So the standards are being raised all the time. Um, and that's brilliant. And we saw that in, you know, for Morgs with our World Cup team. But now, obviously, we're really pushing that side with the test team as well. Um, and we're making some really, really good gains, which, you know, for us, particularly from a science and medicine point of view, we're delighted with. A change in gear from Morgan's kind of perfectionism. Um, let's talk about cricket tees because COVID kind of ended up outlining, outlining banning it, right? And uh, uh, two thirds of the cricket podcast, you can guess which ones um, like it, which ones don't. Can um, you? <laughs> uh, I think so. I think so. Um, but it, it, may it never return to its former beige banquet, is what I'm saying. Uh, were you a, were you a fan of the traditional cricket tee? <laughs> So this is right. This is absolutely genius. Before I came on the podcast today, I thought I'm just going to Google cricket tees and see what comes up. 
<laughs> and I had the biggest giggle to myself because the first forum, there was a forum and it was all these people talking about what should be on a cricket tee. I've actually written it down. It said it should um, have energy drinks, chocolates and lots of ice cream. And I was yeah. like, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> and then the second hit said it should have a cricket tea guide said it should be sandwiches, which I thought, okay, fair enough. Savouries, including pork pies, sausage rolls, cocktail sausages, and scotch eggs. Yeah, that's the classic. Followed yeah. by sweets of cake and biscuits and lots of cups of tea. And it actually told you how to make the cups of tea. And um, I thought, an wow, important part. I haven't been around a cricket tea like that for a long time, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's going to have some of our listeners salivating and uh, <laughs> like the, like the, everything is seemingly pork based and uh, i mean could you tell the, our listeners what the nutritional value of a white bread budget ham sandwich is with a half-cooked garlic bread and some tesco value ready salted crisps <laughs> i think it, you know it, it is fascinating though that you know, probably the question we get asked the most is, what do international cricketers have on a tea break? Hmm. All I'll say is they don't have anything like that. It's it's nothing like that anymore. And maybe the I am shocked. <laughs> they don't want that. Can you imagine if we... I think they'd, they'd actually celebrate if they walked in and there was cocktail sausages and sausage rolls everywhere. I know some of them would be delighted if that was the case. <laughs> I think um, it's funny, though, because the reality is there's some aspects of the tea break that... Absolutely fine. But I noticed on on uh, Twitter that somebody had asked the question of what should it consist of to play well, almost tongue in cheek of like, if we actually want to think about playing well, what, what should we actually eat? And I think the main issue, probably similar to what you just said then, Ross, is generally cricket tea is the historical afternoon tea type cricket tea. It's just ridiculously high in fat. Mm-hmm. And if you want to run around quite successfully you don't want to eat something really really high fat before doing that so I think sometimes the guys say to me oh Amy you're just being like picky like you're not letting us have sausage rolls and I'm like no it's because I actually want you to not throw up and run around <laughs> <laughs> so, so what so, should we be be looking for so if I tell you what we do I mean what we do on international uh, say test matches is on the actual interval break at lunch the guys will have a sit down meal which will be a hot meal so it'll be things like chicken fish you know potatoes rice vegetables and so on yogurt and fruit type thing hot meal and generally the rule there is we tend to avoid heavy red meat dishes for the obvious reason that that takes a bit more time to digest we tend to avoid high fat like creamy dishes that again take longer to digest and maybe make you feel a bit sluggish and we'll generally encourage lighter meats and white fishes so that you know they feel more comfortable and then at the tea break the, the difficult thing about the tea break is it depends what we're doing in the match so what we tend to do is we have an all-day snack table we call it which is like a make your own sandwich type bar where we have wraps and we have a sandwich maker and there'll be things like chicken and tuna and eggs and salad and fruit and yogurts and all that kind of thing and the guys can then select so a big part of my job is trying to get them to eat what they need not what they want (laughs) so so often they default to what they feel like and I'm like if you're about to go and bowl 90 miles an hour please eat some carbohydrate for example (laughs) our tea break is very much that and then what we tend to do is ask the catering team to bring things that they'll enjoy If if it's not a particularly nice day like they might bring some like warm chicken kebab skewers and some sweet mm-hmm. potato wedges and then they'll have they'll have that with like our salad bar or whatever but that unfortunately the lads won't like it but we don't have cakes 
some 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 nations i won't say who but we all share our catering guidelines do request cake um some do request ice creams and that kind of thing but given that we want to try and win <laughs> we tend to let those to leave those till day five when hopefully the game is wrapped up and or know, provide like, them only for the opposition surely <laughs> <laughs> the hardest thing is trying to separate out the dining rooms because once our players know that the other team have got something really good they start going why haven't we got that but um if you, if you <laughs> but if you could if you could weigh mitchell stark and pat cummings down with some battenberg i think it might be a bit of a bit of a leveler <laughs> <laughs> Without going into detail, there was a point in the summer where I knew what the opposition were having, and let's just say I, I allowed them to keep those choices. <laughs> <laughs> um, if we could, if we could boil it down, or, or if we could bring it down to the recreational levels, if if, if uh, the COVID restrictions are, are continued for next year, what should I be putting in my lunchbox or my tea box for for my own personal tea? If if I want to increase my my batting average from twenty seven to thirty twenty eight. 28 yeah right. um what would um i mean this year to give you an idea i've had mcdonald's for tea i've had no tea i've had a chicken wrap once which sounds like it might be in the ballpark um but like could you could you give me a really simple um homemade cricket tea that i, I can take to to, to I'm, games in i'm April pretty sure year, you hopefully. just had beer for one tea <laughs> i've had beer for more than that's one for more tea. than one yeah which which did you feel um, that you performed the best on jack I didn't keep a record, to be honest. Uh, no tea, I think, probably best. I'm not a big. I don't. I don't really. I don't. I don't feel that good after eating sports-wise. Anyway, I tell you what. After a couple of beers, you think you're much better at cricket than you actually I, are. Two two beers, batting, definitely, <laughs> uh, definitely a win. <laughs> do, do you know? It's funny that you say that. There's quite a few guys. If they're mid batting, especially batters, if they're mid innings, they don't like to eat. Um, and that is a common a common thing that I think will feature across many cricketers across many different levels playing you know across various leagues. And what we tend to do there is we we whip up a smoothie literally, so we cram you know milk, fruit, banana, bit of mm-hmm. honey, and we literally thrust it in the hand. And I'm glad that I haven't heard spinach or kale in those ingredients. Yeah, none of that. They want drinks. Disappointed there was no rum or vodka added into that you one. Could, you could add that yourself. Yeah, right? you can add a shot. Why not? <laughs> but um, no, I mean, on a serious note, when our guys were transitioning back to the bubble, if you remember, they had to go and do remote training themselves. And again, like many of our conversations were, you're going to, you're going to go to the net, but then you've got to do a gym session. How are you, you know, you, if you live far away and you haven't got time to, you know, get home to eat, what are you going to have? And, you know, it was quite nice for the guys for us to chat through what are your options, like any other cricketer would have, you know, they face the same, the same issues through COVID. So we tended to recommend things like a chicken wrap with salad, you know, that they just prepare before they left. They take with them, you know, just standard foods like carbohydrate and decent protein sources and nothing that's like overly heavy. So, you know, common things were chicken wrap with salad or a pitta, something like that, filled with a light meat or a tuna or something with, you know, some fruit. Our guys like things like biltong, you know, like dried um, dried beef. They maybe take that as a recovery snack. Then we give them obviously things like their shakes um, or some of them took a smoothie with them. But the reality is they couldn't access facilities to warm food up. So it was like we would suggest any, you know, cricketer would take. And I would suggest the same. I think 
you know, we don't want to take the fun element out of cricket and the tease is like a bit of a, you know, it, it, we, I know we have a giggle about it, but it's something that's quite traditional about the game. Mm. I think it's just more the reality of, for us, especially when we're trying to, you know, get these guys performing, <clears throat> excuse me, we absolutely want to fuel them in the right way. And as much as I'd love to go, guys, we're going to smash back a lot of cake and chocolate and ice cream. It's just sadly, nutritionally, not the best thing. But, you know, we can find ways around it. And some of the chefs that we work with are great. And they will produce things like a low-fat dessert and a, something more orientated or the night before a game, a crumble, you know, or something like that, that actually can be seen as a fueling type mm-hmm. dessert rather than just a heavy and um, not going to make you feel great um, type afternoon tea. We um we had one question in, so we, we've talked about some things that are nutritional there. We had one question in specifically from a guy called Peter Stiles who uh, on Twitter, um, and he he has asked, are there any sort of vegetarian alternatives to the traditional uh, white meat fish um, recommendations that, that you hear quite a lot of? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's interesting. I think the, I think I saw another question around like different dietary requirements that we cater for. We, we actually, unbelievably, in our centrally contracted team at the minute, don't have any dietary requirements, which is quite rare for a team. You know, we don't have any vegetarian athletes. We don't have any vegan athletes. Uh, three of our players are halal, uh, but otherwise that's all we're literally managing. Um, however, we, we obviously cater for opposing teams, and it's quite well documented that the, uh, the Australian team have got two vegan players, I think it is, and we will cater, obviously, for them as we did this summer. And I think the main thing I would say to that question is so often when people say they're vegetarian, people just resort to vegetables. So they just go, oh, just stuff a pepper. because (laughs) That's all they need. And the main thing from a nutritional perspective is trying to get protein options. The vegetarian is quite difficult to do, um, particularly when you start venturing into vegan. But the same applies in terms of carbohydrates. So all we do if we ever have vegetarian plates is at the tea break when I said we might have a chicken kebab skewer, we'll just do like a tofu and um, pepper skewer instead. We'll still give them a protein source. We'll often do things like stir fries and we'll just put a tofu version in that. We'll mm-hmm. do things like um, chickpeas and beans within salads so it raises the protein content. And then if obviously you've got a vegetarian player going to a tea break on, you know, on the taking their own packed lunch, we just replace the meat or fish with egg or another alternative. So I think the same applies, but he's trying to be adventurous around tea breaks because as I said, so often people resort to just give some vegetables or some carrot sticks. And it's like, that's not suitable for a vegetarian athlete. Yeah. The hardest bit is, as I said, getting a protein and a, and a balance to it. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a really good question, and there's plenty plenty of options if you start broadening your your ideas. There really is. Um, when it comes to the end of a test match or the end of a successful match, who decides which beer to get in? Because <laughs> you, you... <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't often get any say, but interestingly, and I'll call you what I'm sharing this. Before we left the bubble, he said, "Oh, and will you will you find me a low calorie beer?" Um, I remember one of my trips back in 2018, I think it was, and I turned up to, a, it was Old Trafford, I think, in the middle of a series, and I, I got out of my car and had my rucksack, and I brought with me um, the new launch of the new low-calorie beer in my rucksack, and the security guy said, oh, can I look in your bag? <laughs> I opened up my rucksack, and he said, who are you again? And I was like, I'm the nutritionist for the team, and he was like, and you're bringing beers in? And I was like, oh, this is a mess. That got in there and said, right, guys, can we maybe get us more towards lower calorie options? But 
didn't really work. The bottom line is I don't get any Seros. <laughs> the, the match is done, you know, from my side, we try and encourage them to recover well, as in on a, on a serious note, we do go, right, lads, let's recover so we don't get any niggles or injuries. And often, so often, we're playing again in a few days' time, so that's important. But, yeah, the, the alcohol is an interesting one. And I think it's something I was actually thinking about earlier today, that there's this attachment with cricket that it's still very alcohol-driven. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen, again, a shift. Um, you know, I'm not, not making it sound boring, but particularly in the test team, if somebody scores a maiden century or something, or there are 500 wickets, 600 wickets like we had this summer, of course you're going to toss that person and celebrate. And that might happen mid-match, but it's rare. What will generally happen is we will play the game, get to the end, and then on the last day, there'll be a beer or two. But I think likewise, in, in one-day cricket, in the World Cup especially, whereas normally you play one day and have a few days off before the next one day, so the beers will come out. We actually saw that like 95% of players didn't have a beer up until the semi-final because they were taking it seriously and they wanted to keep themselves in a good place. So I think, you know, the, don't get me wrong, obviously we'll celebrate as a team, hopefully when we've won. Um, but what the nature of the content of the beer is, I don't have any say. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> brings it in and that's it. But maybe me and Collie will work to get some low calorie options going. So <laughs> we'll see on that one. I'll get back to you. Brilliant. Well, uh, that's all the questions we've had, really. I mean, uh, is there any funny stories from lockdown that you can share that are kind of fair? Well, it not actually not family friendly would be even better. But, uh, <laughs> or, or, or is it what happens in lockdown stays in lockdown? Oh, I, I just think, I mean, some of, some of the funniest things was obviously the whole nature of this virtual platform now, whereas in the past we just ring people. We felt this need all of a sudden, we all have, haven't we, to now do it on a, on a video call. <laughs> So I think firstly, just like doing video calls with the players is always interesting because some of them, you know, it's like they've almost forgot that you're ringing them on a video call. I think that's funny within itself. But we had a point where um, Moeen, uh, Adil and Sakib were obviously taking part in Ramadan through mm -hmm. through a part of lockdown and they were celebrating Ramadan. So we, what we often do through that period of time is just try and monitor, um, you know, things like their, their lean mass and what we would do if they were in camp or in, in, a, in last year, actually, they were in the World Cup with us, is we would do physical measures, like we'd take the body weight and we'd measure the muscle girth. So I was trying to get, I had the three of them on a call and I'd sent them all tape measures and I'm, try, I'm trying to get them to take their own muscle girth. It was just the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. I wish we could have recorded it because trying to get the guys to measure their legs and laughing at each other <laughs> yeah, it, it just was caught on edge it really was and in the end I fed back to science and medicine I was like we're not we're not going to get any accurate results they can do what they like with those tape measures I don't want them back <laughs> <laughs> Marine Ali's got a 45 inch waist what have we done to him <laughs> and that was funny but I, I, otherwise it was just we, we had a good whatsapp group going and the banter I mean when they did the cooking challenges was I think some of the comments that around each other's cooking, we did a protein pancake challenge and, and Sam Curran, and, you know, we've, we've openly said he was happy for me to share that he won the competition, but the lads were all saying, well done, Mrs. Curran, and that's <laughs> the Google Photoshop there. And and then I think um, Rudy came third and uh, Jimmy said it looked like he'd cat, his cat had thrown up on his protein <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I th I think by the end of lockdown, Joe Root started to look like Mary Berry with that hair haircut. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, I'll tell him that. He'll, <laughs> He'll never come on the show then. Uh... I, I think there's a, I think I've heard them say that Zach was Mary Berry or something with his longer hair. Was that calling? That's um, a Twitter poll. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe I've got that one wrong, but some, somebody looked like Mary Berry. I don't know. Who Stuart was. Broad, maybe. <laughs> yeah, who, who knows? But the, the banter, the banter was good. But I think what's nice is. Um, you know, they had the opportunity to do things like that, which we just never got a chance to do before. So it was actually a really, really, a really positive time. And I know some of them got cooking, which they, they never would do. And uh, I think my last one, I actually, I actually would say was Ollie Pop openly said he was trying to learn to cook within lockdown. And he messaged me one day and said, oh, I'm, I've, done a, I've done a news article about my cooking. I was like, that's brilliant. Oh, like, amazing. Read the headline and it was something like, Ollie cooks chicken pie, and I was like, oh, God, you, <laughs> pie. Like, you could have cooked anything, and you picked probably one of the most unhealthy choices you could pick in a pie, but anyway, <laughs> it, it was the effort that counted, and he was on, I think he was in the Times saying that Ollie's now cooking chicken pies for his family, so. Nice. But um, nice. yeah, they're a good bunch. I'm sure he had a pastryless version for himself. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, we'll hope he did. Yeah. yeah. With a well, Emma. Thanks ever so much for joining. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really insightful. Thank you very much for joining. No problem. Thanks, guys. That was Emma Gardner, the England team's nutritionist. Uh, An enjoyable interview, I thought, boys. But now we move on. And we move on to the Indian Premier League, which really is in full swing. Uh, The last couple of games have been two of the most incredible T20 games that I have ever seen. And I I mean that quite seriously. And there was the the, the Rajasthan Royals. We're going to do them in chrono- chronological order, so we will get to it. But the Rajasthan Royals, which is fortunately Kings... excitement order as well. <laughs> yes, no, but I mean, the, I thought the Rajasthan Royals v Kings Eleven game was was basically impossible to top, and I think maybe it is because it has one particularly stunning narrative as part of it. But but let me tell you, Virat Kohli uh, and and uh, his Royal Challengers Bangalore playing on the Mumbai Indians today really did run it close. Mm-hmm. As I said, we would start chronologically. Going back to Friday, Delhi Capitals v Chennai Super Kings. Ross, what do you think? Um, well, ultimately, Dhoni and co were embarrassed by the Royals beforehand, um, and they had the chance to prove a point here. I mean, we kind of gave Dhoni a bit of a hard time on Twitter and uh, maybe gained or lost a few followers on Twitter. Who knows around that? Dhoni um, <laughs> um, won the toss again. He stuck to his bowl first mantra again, and they lost again. Um, DC pumped them ultimately. They hit they hit way too they hit too many runs for them, and the pace was too much. So Rabada and Nokia, or Naughty, Nokia, 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 Nokia. Um, yeah, but, but ultimately, yeah, DC. It was an easy win for them. CSK didn't even look interested in trying to be competitive. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought that it was really just really weird. <laughs> to be honest, uh, I've got Rabada bowled well, three for twenty six. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's looking in fine touch. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. And I, I'm starting to wonder 
whether Dhoni is actually the worst value player in the whole tournament, considering the amount of money he's on. <laughs> That's some more followers, potentially. He- he took, he took a diving catch off and makes things happen current. Um, a, there was a couple of talking points just uh, just to quickly go to wrap this game up because it's really not that interesting. Mm. Um, Ravi Jadeja, um, according to Crickviz, is the best player of of what of cricket of cricket in, in Test cricket in Test cricket oh, since the year two thousand. Ravi Jadeja is the most impactful player. Oh right, I didn't realize he was yeah. define impactful, please. Well, so. This is t- a tangent, but it basically means he's he's an all rounder and he's quite good right. at being an all rounder. Okay, um, <laughs> because the the metric they u- they use to to assess that is it 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 it's the same metric that decided Tendulkar wasn't in the top fifty, um, and the <laughs> and the way it did that was just looking at, at what impact that player it, it instead of comparing that player to. Um, to, to a replacement player, which is how you really should look at things, it just looked at all the players, and so it, it didn't say, well, what, who's Jadeja in the team for, or, or who isn't he in the team for? Mm-hmm. It, probably Ashwin or some other quite good spinner. Um, so actually, really not adding that much impact for a team in India. Instead of looking at it that way, it it just went, oh well, Ravi Ashwin bowls loads in India. Not going to factor that context in. Um, yeah. Sorry, well, anyway, that's it. Yeah. Well, he, he bowled four overs of 44, was absolutely pants. Um, CSKA noted down here that um, only one batsman had a strike rate of over 125, and that was their number seven. That was They were Asia. bad. They were really bad. Um, uh, did you see after the game, they, Michael Slater did an interview with Dhoni, and Dhoni, he, he blamed the bowlers. <laughs> he said the bowlers were inconsistent. Uh, you'd think Michael Slater, being the top quality journalist that he is, would have asked him a question about the Altrol's hatchback. It's the premium car of the Indian market. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> would have asked him a question about um, his batting performance, which was again ponderous. But yeah, no. He didn't no. come in, did he? he literally, <laughs> by the time Dhoni came into bat, the game was gone. He had the opportunity to bat at three or four and decided to waltz in at six. Yeah. Anyway, that can't game means... It. Can't fail if you don't try. Yeah, that <laughs> game means that the Capitals are the surprising early leaders and the and CSK are, are languishing down the table. Mm-hmm. Should we move on to Kolkata Knight Riders v Sunrisers Hyderabad? Yeah, we, we thought this game was going to be a bit of a barnstorming romp, didn't we? And um, it... it I mean, it didn't disappoint, really. I mean, um, Sunrisers Hyderabad hit eight boundaries in a massive 142 <laughs> for four. Um, skipper Dave Warner, favourite of everybody, um, with an innings of a lifetime of 36 for 30 balls with three boundaries. Absolutely rubbish. What a terrible game. Um, <laughs> KKR got it. Don't hold back. Yeah, can't, KKR like cantered to it with two overs to spare. It was so drab. Yeah, I mean it, it was it was dreadful. The only the only notable thing about the whole affair is how badly Sunrisers Hyderabad batted <laughs> to to end on 145 for the loss of only three wickets takes like a massive leap of of cricketing ignorance. Like you have to really be dim out there when you're batting to be like should we should we go now like we're at, we're at 14 overs we've got wickets in hands no better hold <laughs> off boys <laughs> the thing is what I don't understand David Warner is their captain and he is an unbelievably good T20 player and an exceptionally good ODI player and knows this and he's captain of these side and they're just awful um, was it it was Saha oh my oh god oh my lord yeah, yeah. I did a poll on Twitter who's better at cricket um 
Vridiman. Louis Saha. Louis Saha won. 30 of 31. Yeah, it's not T20 cricket, is it? For KKR, come dog millionaire. He did very well. He did bowl well, yeah. He did much better. Um, Kartik, we kind of said that um, one of the narratives of this IPL is going to be the pressure that's going to be on the captains when there's better players in the team. Um, Kartik couldn't have responded to that criticism any better. Got zero off of three balls. And then um, Owen Morgan hit 42 off uh, 29. So uh, pressure is certainly on for him. Yeah. Um, Yes. It takes a big man to drop himself, though. Oh yeah. Well, you never know. He could uh, abdicate. Yeah. Um, so that, what does that mean? That means KKR have won one, lost one, um, yeah. and Sunrisers Hyderabad have lost two. Um, yeah. So good. Good tip, Max, of the title. Um, <laughs> and that plenty of time. On, plenty of that, time left. That brings us on to to the main event, or or the main events really of the of the, of the last four games, uh, the Rajasthan Royals v Kings Eleven Punjab. Um, now, I think like our default response when something happens in cricket is to be a little bit sarcastic. Um, I think we f- thrive on, on sort of cynicism. Um, yep. But sometimes something happens that's just so good that it's impossible not to be happy and, and kind of giddy with excitement <laughs> at, at what's happening. Um, and I'm not, I'm not talking about Mayan Kagawal's blistering century, uh, which was good. I'm not talking about Sanju Sampson's Equally dominant performance, I think, for the Royals. I'm not even talking about the fact that it was a record run chase. I am, of course, talking about Cricket's Lazarus, Rahul Tawachia. I genuinely can't recall a time I've seen anyone be so bad at something... Like and turn it round. I mean, so have you? The the only thing. So I, I was I was trying to find like uh, some something I could compare this to. Have you, have you two ever seen the film Whiplash? Yeah, I have, yeah. Yeah, you know, so in that film, Miles Teller's character, he's, he's a drummer and he's trying to get good at drumming and he gets bullied by J.K. Simmons' character. And so the whole film is a struggle of him trying to be good at drums and J.K. Simmons' character kind of fucking him over. And then right at the end, you think J.K. Simmons has won it. He he gets him to perform uh, with a band and, and he, do, he he changes the music so Miles Teller's character doesn't know what he's supposed to be drumming. And he kind of gives up and he walks off the stage and it looks really sad and it's like, oh, wow, that's two hours of my life gone. Uh, and that's kind of how I felt at the point Raul Duacha was on 8 off 94th. But anyway, Miles Teller's character comes back on and plays the best drum solo ever. And sort of wins the day. And it, it comes from nowhere, blows people's minds. And that is... It, it, Cricket's version of Whiplash basically happened yesterday, I think. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was 17 of 23 balls or what, 8 do, of do you want the numbers? So I can, yes, I can yeah, talk oh, to you. Yeah, so, so Tawatia, he comes in, the Royals need 11 and over. He scores 5 of 13 balls. Not a great start. He scores 8 of 19 balls. So he's actually... He's managed to... Keep keep up the, the shitness for, for another five balls. He's on 17 of 23, as you say, Ross. Now, at this point, Rajasthan Royals, they need 17 and over. So I think it's 84 or 85 off five overs. The game is effectively gone, as everyone on Twitter and everyone on commentary was saying. There's, there's a global consensus in cricket for the first time. There were, there were Pakistani fans and India fans, England fans and Australia fans dancing in the streets celebrating how bad this performance had been. And then he fucking does this. He goes six, 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 dot, six, six, out. 
Finishes, finishes on 53 of 31 falls. It's the most runs any team has ever scored chasing, or it was the most runs any team has ever scored chasing in the last five overs of, of an IPL match. Mm-hmm. It's only the second time ever in the IPL that a player has hit six, uh, five sixes in an over. And as I said earlier, it, it meant that the Rajasthan Royals chased down uh, 222, I think. The highest, the highest chase in IPL history. 223. 223. Boys, Rahul Tawacha, have you ever seen anything like that in your life? It was unreal. The only thing I could think of that might rival that in terms of a comeback, aside from the whiplash reference, which I don't understand, would be if uh, Boris Johnson suddenly <laughs> became a competent Prime Minister. Hey! Hey! It was insane. Also, but not just, like, because uh, there was still work to do. Like, Tawatia hit 30 off and over, and then there was still work to do. And then, and then uh, I think, uh, Utapa... Uh, got got bowled uh, or or uh, caught. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Off Shami not long after, and then Archer just came in and hit two sixes off his first two balls. Yes, yeah, King yes. King Joff. <laughs> and then it, it was, looked like they might blow it as well. It was rem- it was completely remarkable. They were, I mean they won with three balls to spare. They could have got another eighteen runs. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's all right. Tom Curran made it happen. The uh, the final ball. Uh, <laughs> Matt Max, to to give you a reference, if you don't understand the Whiplash one. Um, I'll put a kids' movie in it. Have you seen Space Jam? Yeah, yeah I've seen Space Jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy had no ability; it was taken away. From I, him. I, I'm not sure. Sudden... I'm not sure. Kids' movie is fair though. Uh, it's... <laughs> that's not the point. You need to be haggling over. <laughs> <laughs> and it returned, and uh, he, he twatted it all over the place, didn't he? It's yeah, fair, it was fair play to him. What a I, win! Yeah, yeah. I, I... It was. Do we, do we want to criticise the bowling at all? I mean, you can criticise. I think what you can criticise is is the decision to play an IPL match in someone's back garden. Uh, no, no, I think I think it's a great. I think it's a great bit of the IPL where they've what got. Are, do we know what the dimensions are? At sure. Um, there was one. There was one graphic put up by someone on Twitter who uh, was making a joke, and it, there was one six that was only fifty-eight meters, which, which which isn't a big. Six. I think I might have done that once. <laughs> um, to actually hit a sixty-eight meter six, which it, which just isn't a six at the other two grounds. It's that's out, <laughs> and it went over a road. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's the commentary with that that is huge and it's just that no it's not nope no. <laughs> yeah uh, I did I felt a little bit sorry for Sheldon Cottrell um, mm-hmm. I, I, I I I don't think he necessarily even bowled badly I think it just all happened it, yeah. I, I, it's really without using uh, a sort of a metaphor it's very difficult to, to explain in words that experience. I mean, I, I, what I could, should say, like, if you have a, sort of an hour, go and watch the last hour because you really need to appreciate how badly he he, he came in after eleven overs. Um, Steve Smith and Sanju Sampson lit it up, and they were ahead of the run rate, and it was it looked like it looked really like they were going to win probably fairly comfortably. And then he came in, and he was so bad. He was like trying reverse sweeps, missing the ball by miles. <laughs> so so bad actually that Sampson was turning down singles. Yes, yes, yes. That literally happened. <laughs> Sanju Sampson hit the ball out, third ball of the over, fourth ball of the over, hit the ball out to long on, and just didn't run. Sent him back. <laughs> and then, like, eight balls after that, he's hitting sixes over roads. Well, um, there we go. That's the kind of tough love you need to get you out of your hole. Yeah. Anyway, look, that means, I mean, that just astonishing stuff. Um, 
But if that, that means if that, if that doesn't get you into the IPL, nothing will. <laughs> yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah, that that result does mean that the the Rajasthan Royals have um, have defied expectations. I think a little bit to be two out of two. Yeah, consistent. Um, They've got their good yeah. players of firing, and Samson is in. Oh, he he looks so good. Yeah. Uh, Kings eleven <laughs> bloke. Kings eleven Punjab have somehow conspired to to lose a game where they needed to defend eighty five or five overs and lose lose a game where they needed to score one run off three balls in the space of a week. So they've they've only won one out of their three games. Um, I I think that how do you get up from that? I don't know. Uh, maybe we'll get into that in a bit. But what a game! Um, really, really was fantastic. And so that- just uh, just a little side note on um, Tawatia before he went on his uh, blistering six hitting streak. He bowled one over and it went for 19 as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Guess, guess um, he was in my fantasy team. <laughs> yeah. um, that that brings us on to today's cricket. So on Monday, the, the Monday the 28th, uh, the Royal Challengers Bangalore took on the Mumbai Indians. Now, whenever Royal Challengers Bangalore play, you have to play. It's like a good cop, good cop, bad cop dynamic going on there. You don't know... Who's who's coming out? Yeah, yeah, um, so you you toss that coin. You you, you, talk, you, bo- you borrow that Pakistan international coin and give it to Royal <laughs> Challengers of Bangalore, and you see what's going to happen. Well, they, they toss it. It looked that it looked a lot like it had come down on the on the good cop side. So they they piled on two hundred and two against Mumbai Indians. Um, Davilia's probably star of the show. I mean, the young guy Padakal got some runs at the top, but <clears> Davilia's <throat> was was hitting sixes, colossal sixes. Yeah, Finch, Finch batted well as well. Yeah, Finch did bat well. Finch did, um, I don't know. I was watching that. I don't think he batted well. I think he just did what Aaron Finch do, does. Ugly <laughs> runs. Let's not let's not think about those. Anyway, so yeah, De, De Villiers, um he hit some sixes. It was all De Villiers. De Villiers scored 202. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, this is... So we, we did the interview just as this game was concluding. And I this is, this is how my summary of the game ended. Uh... Sharma fell pretty early on for Mumbai, and from that point on, 202 always looked like it would be too much. In all of that, though, Virat Kohli only managed three off the last 11, off the 11 balls he faced. What's going on with Virat? Is he bad now? Not really the, the summary of, of what actually happened there. Is that's quite, quite a different... <laughs> I, I think your uh, potential career as a cricket journal is going to go really well with uh, write-ups like that. Quite a different um, set of events did transpire. Um, mainly... Led by star of the what's that Mumbai Indians cricket fever documentary? Yeah, yeah hot fever. <laughs> hot fever. Ishan Ishan Kishan, who came out and scored ninety nine off what fifty five balls. Fifty um, ninety nine or fifty eight. Yeah, so so if yesterday's performance was pretty shocking, like needing eighty four to win off five overs and and doing or whatever it was, today's performance where the Mumbai Indians needed ninety or five overs should have been even more ridiculous. And they almost did it. I mean, Ishan Kishan out on 99. Uh, they need five off, off two balls at that point. It means Pollard faces the last ball of the innings, who had, by the way, hit 50 off 20 balls. Pollard faces the last ball of the innings, and he can only hit it for four. And we go to a super over. Um, super over was crap. But the, those five overs <laughs> were pretty stunning. Uh, Ishan Kishan, was it nine sixes, Ross? Nine sixes, yeah. Yeah, what I don't understand is if you've done that. So last year they were just like, well, obviously Ben Stokes has to go out to bat, and so and Josh Butler. They're the only people who hit some runs. Know the know the, uh, know the pace of the pitch. Why did they send in Hardik Pandya? 
I had I, no idea. Honestly, no idea. Like, yeah, shocking. Pollard's just hit 60 off 24. Kishan's hit 99 off 58 and hit nine sixes. And you haven't sent them both back out. Yeah, and they, they said something like it. Uh, maybe Ishan Kishan was tired. I mean, the, the ball he was out to was going for six. Did it was you, caught on the boundary. Did you like, see Ben yeah. Stokes in the World Cup and how tired he was? Yeah. They uh, just sent him out. Uh, just which Ambani made the decision, do you reckon? Was it, was it Mum Ambani or the, or the son? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, um, it's it, it, yeah. Basically, so they 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 tied the game. The super over, sort of as we're saying, we, we should mention the result. So the super over was bowled by Saini, uh, the Royal Royal Challengers Bangalore pace bowler, who uh, kept Mumbai Indians down to seven. Yep. Um, that wasn't enough. Virat Kohli, obviously, being the big man that he is, he went out to bat. Uh, with A.B. de Villiers didn't take strike um, but uh, but that was because he knew what would happen because he's a master of, of chases <laughs> um, anyway um, de Villiers top edge one uh, Coley hit the last ball for four they, they won comfortably because eight's never going to be enough um, yeah, and, even, uh, even the magic of Bumrah couldn't get him into that yeah yeah and Bumrah didn't bowl well in that whole game um, but uh, yeah it was uh, the, the, the thing it doesn't have, and so the reason that game wasn't as good as the, the game before, is is that the heroes were slightly less expected in the, or were far, far less expected in the yeah. in the Rajasthan Royals games. Also, the uh, comeback team fell at the final hurdle. Yeah, and, and I think had they, I think had they won the Super Over, it might have challenged it for drama, but because they had a bad Super Over, it's a uh, bit of an anticlimax. Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, yeah, well, there we mind. are. Yeah, so that that basically means that Royal Challengers Bangalore uh, have won two of their three games somehow, <laughs> uh, and Mumbai Indians have lost two of three, which is not the the way round we'd have expected that to be at this point. Fellas, did you have any other observations from this uh, kind of messed up game? Well, it means that there's what two out of the first ten games have been gone to a super over. Yeah, twenty percent super over rate. That's it. Seems to be so far. It's either. An absolute cracker or dreadful. There's not. There's not been anything in between, has there? There's not been anything that's sort of held your interest a bit, but not quite been that good. It's either been unbelievable or terrible. Yeah, so pick your games <laughs> wisely. That's uh... yeah. Well, um, and we can help you pick your game wisely. Yeah, don't after, do the opposite of what we say. After, yeah. after this quick break, we'll come back with a preview of the shows from tomorrow to Thursday. So to preview the next three IPL matches before our IPL special on Thursday, which we encourage you to tune into if you're a fan of the IPL, of course. I'll be tuning in. Yes. Uh, you're on it, aren't you, Max? Yeah. I think it's, it's Ross and Max on duty no, this he's, week. No, he's replaced uh, Michael Slater. He's flowing flying out. Yeah, so the previews are the, the game tomorrow, which will be Tuesday the 29th, is uh, Delhi Capitals v Sunrisers Hyderabad. Uh, the Capitals, as we said, have won both their games, and the Sunrisers, as we said, have lost both of theirs. Um, well, I don't think there's anything to suggest that the Capitals won't be favourites or shouldn't be favourites for this game. Um, can either of you, maybe you, Max, because you you said the Sunrisers would win the whole tournament, mm. can you convince me otherwise? What what can the Sunrisers do about how bad they are? I think this is this is the game where it all clicks, Jack, where it all swaps. All swaps over the fortunes. You think they might break the one fifty barrier? It's all going to fall into place for them. They'll get, they'll be pl- where are they playing? Are they playing Sharjah? They might be able to might be able to limp past one fifty with the short boundary. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I 
podcast. Oh. I think the Sunrise has got some quite significant issues fielding a proper batting lineup. So we know that they're they've definitely they're going to front load, aren't they? They've got Warner and Bearstow followed by uh, Panday, uh, which is a pretty good top three. Uh, but then after that, there's not really anything, and I don't think they have a solution to that unless yeah. they really shuffle things around and bring back Kane Williamson. Uh, uh, who's not- back, which uh, might help. Yeah, but I mean, here's a, it didn't make a difference last time. But yeah, I mean, I I would say, and this is a cricket hipster thing, is to say, oh, Rashid Khan and um, and Mohammed Nabi are, are their proper all rounders. I was looking at this. I I actually am not sure that they're in the IPL and or, or in top level cricket. To be honest, they are all rounders. I think they they're kind of guys who can hit. They're maybe finishers, but I don't think you can expect Rashid Khan to come in after eleven overs with the team. 80 for three or 90 for three and mm. do anything particularly good on yeah, a regular that's just basis. That's not really what the team's set up for, is it? I suppose they, they are heavily reliant on on uh, Warner and Besto and, and that uh, taking off. But then you and, have um, then you have the I issue. I guess that's what my prediction was was based on and it's not happened. And well, it's, it's gone the way that you suggested. Maybe that, it's time to get Kane Williamson in. I That's where you have a bit of an issue, isn't it? Because if you're in cricket as a batsman, you, you fail probably more often than you succeed. And that might even be amplified in, in T20 cricket. Uh, I, I just think it's too much work for three guys to do. Uh, if they bring Williamson back, that means Nabby doesn't play, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. And their bowling's probably a bit weaker. But their batting is so bad, I think they really have to consider that. Kane Williamson can bowl a bit if you, you know, he could maybe do a couple. give you a couple of overs if you need to. Yeah. He, I uh, think he, Suresh Rayner is such a big miss, isn't he? That's the. Yes, That's he did. He did an interview actually uh, during the game where where Michael Slater again was the pro journalist. Michael Slater was asking him about his injury. Um, Kay Williams was saying, "I haven't got an injury," and Michael Slater kept asking him, "So what's your injury?" And it, was a, it was a really bizarre exchange between kind of like a nice Kiwi guy and somebody who'd obviously been fed some notes by a producer and was too dim to think of a second question when um, <laughs> when, when when confronted with the fact that. That Williamson actually was fit. Um, Didn't even default to car chat. Yeah, I'm not really super excited about this game, to be honest. I think the Capitals will steamroll them. I don't think Um, it's going to be a steamroll. I think they don't have, as we said before, they don't have an explosive batting lineup. But they've got a plan. They're sticking to it. They're consistent performance. Uh, I'm going to say steamroll. I'm going to say steamroll. Okay. Um, Um, So I think Delhi Capitals will stretch their legs, be the first team to win three games. Um, Mm -hmm. Fellas, what do you reckon? I'm in the DC camp. With you. Well, why don't I just be contrary? Okay. Well, Stick yeah. with SRH. In for a penny, in for a pound, eh, Max? Yep. Okay. Uh, so that moves us on to Wednesday, uh, which will be uh, about the 15th game of the tournament or something like that. The 12th. <laughs> 12th. Well, yeah, that's about 15. <laughs> um, the Rajasthan Royals will be taking on the Kolkata Knight Riders. The unbeaten Royals, that is, who, um, who, who are so far the top scorers in the IPL as well as the top run conceders in the IPL. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. I think this is the potential to be a pretty explosive game, boys. What do you reckon? Yes, I think you've touched upon it there. I think, um, yeah, they've hit plenty of runs but conceded. They're, I mean, they've conceded over 200 runs both both games. Um, but they're playing at, they were playing at Sharjah there. This is going to be the first game where they're playing in Dubai. So actually that all could change. Um, I think there's a lot more to come from KKR than we've actually seen, and I think the once they get their selection and kind of depth kind of right and use Dre Russ in the right fashion, is that they may as well bat him at eleven. Um, yeah, we, we, I think we should be a good game, and KKR to win for me. Yeah, I um, I I'd probably agree with that. I I think I think we had some questions about Rajasthan Royals bowling 
before the tournament, and it's definitely not great. I mean, they have Archer, but he can't bowl 20 overs as much as Joe Root would like him to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the, on the other hand, though, like, you know, if Samson keeps smashing 80s off, off 40 balls, uh, they're, they're going to be a challenge for anyone. Uh, I, I'm going to go with you, though, Ross. I think KKR to win the game on Wednesday. Uh, Max, which, which leaves you as the potential contrarian again. Well, I wouldn't want to disappoint. <laughs> I reckon uh, I reckon Rajasthan Royals will win it on the final ball. Oh, well, so, well, sooner or later, this is what I've written down here, that the, the um, Sonal Narayan lottery is going to pay out, and uh, <laughs> yeah. we're, st- we're still waiting. <laughs> I mean, I, if we're looking at it, I, I just think KKR are a much better team. If you look at if you look at them on paper and look at their their histories in the IPL, I just think they're better. So, yeah, well, never never write off Joss Butler and Steve Smith. That's all I can tell you. Um, Steve Smith has been scary. <laughs> he needs very... a new nickname. Smudger doesn't cut it anymore. No, he's no. a bit more evil, uh, like Apex Predator. <laughs> I think Steve, Steve Apex Predator. Steve Apex Predator Smith. Uh, Steve Tyrannosaurus Rex Smith. Oh, very, very good. Uh, <laughs> that brings us on to um, the Thursday game. So just before we do our. Um, IPL review show that you should definitely listen to. Um, it's Kings Eleven Punjab versus the Mumbai Indians, and uh, as we as we've already described in this game, I mean, how are they going to return after hitting two hundred and twenty three for two and getting chased down with three balls to spare? I mean, that 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 spells trouble for the mental psyche of Kings Eleven Punjab. Um, it is, however, a battle of the centurion as well. So you've had um, Sharma, Agarwal, and Rahul. They're, they're all the ones who have hit centuries in the tournament so far. I didn't realise Sharma had, but maybe I missed something. Yeah, 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 he definitely has. Um, he was the first one to do it, in fact. Um, I thought he got but, 80. But, you know, that's nearly... That's 80, 80, 100, 12, 12 15. 15, yeah, you know. <laughs> um, but it's also interesting around... Like, who needs battle. facts? Yeah, who, who do you think is going to win here, James? I mean, the, even, the, um, even the... You've got a good pace battle as well. We've got Shammy and Cottrell. I mean, tie. Sure if... It's going to be a tie. <laughs> I'm going to tie the Super over. Oh, I am, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be a tie. Uh, go out on a limb there. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> Mumbai Indians are gonna. Uh, I think they're gonna win this one. They, sh- yeah. they should do, shouldn't they? Well, mm-hmm. I I said on Thursday that I think Kings Eleven Punjab have been lucky that they've had some incredible individual performances bail them out of yeah. uh, some some quite crap team performances. I think that kind of happened again on. Um, Sunday. Sunday. So yeah. I think, yeah, Agarwal scoring that 100, which you didn't really talk about, but was like probably the, the actual best innings of the game, if we're being 100, honest. Well, 106 of 50 balls. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, he made um, he made that look look better than it was. Uh, they didn't bowl very well. and They didn't bat very well apart from him. And I, I just, I, they can't, like, it's very hard to win a cricket match with one performer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just seems to be all they're capable of doing. I couldn't couldn't agree more. And they've uh, and it's that bit where when is Mohammed Shami going to stop taking wickets? He's uh, he's an old an oldie but a goodie. Um, okay, so uh, we're going for three Mumbai Indian wins there, are we? Out of all of us, sounds sounds like it. Yeah, yeah I can't, I can't bring Punjab. myself can't bring myself to be contrarian this time. Uh, well, that wraps up the IPL preview. Um, unless you gents have got anything else to say on the matter. Yeah, no, I think that is for the IPL. Uh, the the thing I would say is is join in um, every day. We do a Twitter bowl prediction. So far, our audience <laughs> I think have got one right out of out all of, the out games out of twelve. Uh, I, well, we missed the first couple, so I think I think I think it's one of eight. The well, no, audience no, no Paul right. the octopus. 
Um, <laughs> so, so if you feel like you are better at predicting than the rest of the idiots listening to this show, then get over there and, and lend your weight to the... <laughs> to, or to the, to or the, the idiots people. presenting the show. <laughs> I've just been taking the opposite side. I've got seven out of eight right. <laughs> to be honest, Max. Um, so go over there, do that. Uh, that's at the cricket pod on Twitter. Same on Instagram. Uh, and if you've got a story or something about whatever, uh, thecricketpod at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.